What is up, Thrive Tribe? Welcome back to the Thrive University podcast. I'm so excited that you are here. It genuinely means the world that you are spending some of your precious time here listening and connecting and expanding your consciousness. And today's episode is a really, really special one. First of all, it's the 198th episode. So we're getting closer to that 200th episode mark. So for those of you who were here from episode one, thank you, thank you, thank you. And for those of you joining for the first time, thank you, thank you, thank you. I'm so grateful that you were able to find this podcast amongst all of the other options out there in the world. Your presence genuinely means the world to me, and I'm so glad that you are part of this conscious community that we are cultivating here at Thrive University. And our mission is to inspire and empower you with the gifts, with the tools that you never learned in school. And I'm on a mission to bring in the top minds in health, wellness, spirituality, psychedelics, entrepreneurship, so you can expand and you can grow. But here's the thing. At Thrive University, we believe that knowledge is not power. Knowledge is potential power. So you're going to hear a lot of mind-blowing things today, a lot of divine downloads, But please stay open-minded, stay open-hearted, and commit to taking action on one, just one thing that you hear today that resonates with you. And before we get into today's show, I just want to announce the launch of my free microdosing course. This is something that I've wanted to do for probably the last six months. And I was just consumed with other projects. And I was finally able to create the time and space to put together something super meaningful. And the reason why I wanted to make it free is because I know so many people are looking for this information. They're seeking solutions to heal and to grow and to become the best version of themselves. And I didn't want to charge for something that I think so many people need access to. And it's a series of five videos really diving deeper into what microdosing is, how you can implement it into your life effectively. And Again, this is something that I feel like has the potential to be one of my biggest contributions to the planet. And I'm so, so excited. So make sure to just hit the link for the show notes and you'll see the link right there to get access to the free course. There's no gimmicks. You don't have to put your credit card, nothing like that. I simply want you to have access to this and I can't wait to hear your feedback. Now for today's show, I get to sit down with my friend, Tim Saiku, and Tim was one of the guides with One Heart Journey when I did my ayahuasca journey back in October 2020 in Mexico. Tim is 
such a gift to the universe. And he has such a beautiful story of transformation from starting a successful tech company, marketing company, and ultimately selling that company and really on that journey, finding his true purpose, finding his true calling, his dharma, his soul's calling for being and serving. So I'm so excited for you to hear Tim's story and some of the divine downloads that he's going to drop on you today. As always, fam, please keep an open mind as we discuss things like psychedelics and how to integrate psychedelics into our life in a way that is intentional and practical. So I love you so much. Thank you again for being here. And now let's get to today's show. What is up, everybody? Welcome back to the Thrive University podcast. I am your host and chief energy officer, Jeremy Abramson. And ladies and gentlemen, Am I excited for today's guest? We have such a special treat for you today. We have Tim Saiku. And Tim is an entrepreneur at heart who bootstrapped, scaled, and exited his first software company by age 28 and now focuses his time mentoring first time founders, angel investing in mission aligned startups, and co host transformational retreats for heart led leaders. Now, after selling his first company, Tim traveled around the world to 16 countries in 12 months to reset in 2019. And in that time, he remembered his deep purpose to support the elevation of consciousness through powerful entheogens for heart-led leaders and creators. In his downtime, he loves playing all sorts of instruments, mixing music, reading spiritual philosophies, dancing salsa, deepening his meditation practice, and studying the resurgence of the psychedelic movement. Tim, welcome to the show, bro. Thank you, Jeremy. It's a pleasure. And I do want to just preface by saying you will hear a lot of animals in the background because I am currently in the mountains of Costa Rica. <laughs> I love it, dude. And and I think it's a good place to start, actually. You know, I, I, I heard you talk a little bit about uh, nature versus normal. And mm. this this paradox, I think, is really interesting. And I think you just mentioned, you know, nature, you're surrounded by it right now. Talk to us a little bit about what that means. Sure. So... You know, I've been thinking a lot about it as a potential next tattoo or even the, the next two second tattoo I might put on myself. And uh, the reason is that, um, you know, I have six tattoos on me right now and each of them represent core values that I want to devote the rest of my life to. And um, they come from various stories. And so now this one coming up, uh, nature versus normal or natural versus normal has been a, a beautiful contemplation question I ask a lot of times when making decisions. So, for example, in this case, um, you know, when I think about normal versus natural in a living environment, I think it is typically normal. I'm not going to, you know, point the finger at anybody saying that they're choosing a wrong decision or anything like that. But in my perspective, it might be a typical normal uh, behavior to kind of choose to live in a very uh, metropolitan crowded city 
um, just because that's what we're taught. Maybe that's where a lot of opportunities are. Whatever the reason is, beautiful. But I asked myself the other question on the other side, what's natural as a living environment? And there's nothing more natural than living in immersed in nature to the point where because the birds are chirping, because the monkeys are howling, uh, because the roosters are, are, are up. And it's just so natural that I don't need even a normal alarm clock to wake me up. Um, or mm. even using our, my circadian rhythm where I just naturally wake up when the sun is coming up now versus trying to sleep in, et cetera, et cetera. So that's just one way of, of looking at it. Another way might be you know, our diet as well. Um, I, th I think a lot about normal versus natural in terms of diet. Uh, you know, is it more normal to eat junk food and fast food versus something that's, you know, more organic? And again, I'm not saying it's right or wrong for anybody. It's just a contemplation question. I love asking myself as it relates to my life now. Yeah, I love that. And a lot of the stuff that, <clears throat> especially the last couple months, that that I've been talking a lot about, you know, on social media and different platforms is reading your labels, like simply just reading the labels of what you're putting into your body. And we're, we're programmed to think that these artificial sweeteners and different sure. additives and chemicals are normal, but our body is not designed to metabolize and digest these things. And I think that's important what you said. We're not we're not saying you know, one way is right, one way is wrong, but it goes back to the importance of listening, right? And listening Absolutely. to your body and, and, and understanding what, what raises your vibration. Um, something else that, that intrigued me when I asked you just in that quick little survey questionnaire, when filling up, uh, when, 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 uh, aligning for this podcast, I said, what are you most grateful for in this moment? And your response was the freedom to explore what's in most alignment with my heart. Mm -hmm. And I just like stepped back and read that a few times. And I was like, damn, that's really powerful. Can you maybe elaborate on that? Sure. So, you know, right now I'm living in the mountains of Costa Rica with the ocean views and you know, I get to work remotely whenever I want to, and I can create, you know, services that serve certain customers. And I just have a lot of freedom to, to not only explore location geographically, but also choose what companies, you know, how I spend my energy with certain types of uh, people as well. And I find that as a, a beautiful privilege, don't get me wrong, I totally acknowledge that it is a privilege, but it is also very much in our control to create that sort of opportunity so that we have the freedom to go explore geographically and how we spend our energy. And so, you know, when I, when I, when you asked me what, what am I grateful for? And in that moment, I had just, you know, landed a week into Costa Rica. I just had this beautiful, again, uh, remembrance almost that this is such a beautiful opportunity that I get to embrace. And it is a freedom. It is a freedom that we all have. And it's the choice that we set ourselves towards that I hope people can really take away, right? Like if you're in a, if you're stuck in a, in a role right now that you're not as fulfilled, um, but you're making good money, like ask yourself, is this freedom? Everyone always asks me now, like, what do I most value in any work I choose to embark on? And it, the first thing I always say is freedom. 
freedom to, you know, be excited on what I want to work on while still knowing that what I'm responsible for freedom for location, freedom for et cetera, et cetera. But that comes with a set of discipline and, um, you know, this, uh, 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 path that you build towards, you put in the work and you can build that freedom. So that's how I see, you know, my life. So grateful for right now, just this freedom, uh, geographically and energetically for what I spend my time on and where I spend my time at. Mm, I love that brother. And I'm curious to know, because I think you were 23 when you started your marketing agency, right? I was actually 20 or 21. Oh, wow. You were still at SC? Yeah. I was uh, finishing up my junior year at University of Southern California, yeah, undergraduate. Unreal, man. So, so, I mean, a lot of people look at that and they see someone in his early 20s, mid 20s, building this multi-million dollar company. And they think like, that's freedom. You know, I think we've been programmed to think freedom is financial freedom. So did you feel free in those seven years that you were building that company? The short answer is no. Um, the long answer, longer answer is that like, I went into building that company from a not so aligned intention. Um, and I think that's the key takeaway, like whatever we do, whatever we, you know, go after, whatever we pursue or create, I always ask myself now, is it in alignment to my heart, you know, my desires, my, my lifelong mission? And I believe it's when you ask that question and you do find that opportunity that aligns with, you know, your heart and your mission, will you really experience the freedom that we're talking about? And the freedom, maybe if I go one level deeper, just from a feeling and embodiment perspective, just feels like on one side, you know, this, this quote of do what you love and love what you do and you'll never feel like you're working a day. Um, and that's what I feel like where it never feels like work. I don't feel stressed. That's, I guess, one you know, feeling of that. Another feeling is just this immense gratitude that I get to do what I'm doing. And I feel like that's another embodiment of this feeling of uh, this freedom uh, feeling. And then maybe lastly, I would just say like, just like, I always ask myself this question, if I feel like I'm in alignment or not, which is if I'm on my deathbed tonight or tomorrow, would I be proud of what I'm, you know, setting myself towards? And I think that's another beautiful question you can you can reflect on to know that you're in alignment. And I believe once you feel in alignment, we'll just feel free. You'll feel free to embrace and embark on, you know, what opportunities are ahead of you. Mm. Yeah. And just to give people a little context, listening and watching on YouTube, Tim and I met at One Heart Journeys in October. And Tim is one of the leaders for One Heart, and they lead these transformational experiences for creators, entrepreneurs, and executives. And I'm curious, now that I'm like circling back to your story, you know, so many of the people that were on our journey in, in October, you know, were successful in, in a material sense. And uh, much like you were in your mid-20s, I'd say. Um, so what I'm saying is what I'm asking, I suppose, is, do you feel like that experience, those seven, eight years really gave you like a next level perspective of compassion, like being able to connect and relate with the people that are coming on these trips? Yeah. 
So let me just answer this by a quick story. You know, I, when I signed the papers to finally sell my NX in my company, it was a hell of a relief. Like it just felt the weight fell off and everything like that. And then immediately the next question I had in my mind was like, man, did I, for any reason or possibility, just waste the last seven, eight years of my life because I didn't feel aligned, right? And I didn't feel that freedom, that weight was on me. And when it finally fell off after I signed the papers, I was like, wow, I feel so free now, right? And it's like, unfortunate that it came to that, but here's the beautiful you know, reflection, as Steve Jobs always says, you look back and it's all 2020 pieces of the puzzle come together. I needed to go through that seven, eight years to learn the, the path of entrepreneurship, to speak the language of, of startup and starting your own business and be able to fully empathize with the people that I would force uh, for in the future and up till now be supporting on these journeys. I thought it was super beautiful that, you know, it just, it came full circle. And it, and this is place of this bigger truth that I believe in, which is like, everything is in divine timing and we just get to trust um, in a greater power, whatever you may believe in that every choice that is in alignment with your heart and your, you know, your, your, your soul and just everything around you and your mission may not unravel the reason why it's in alignment, but trust that it will be in alignment, assuming that you can align with that heart um, felt choice. Mm, I love that, bro. By the way, is that vibrating happening? Like, can you hear it on your side too? Is it mosquitoes? I'm not quite sure. So those are cicadas. And I think there are bugs here um, and they come out in the evening. Are you getting torn apart out there or what? No, no, not at all. No, it's all good though. Okay. Um, just part of that natural environment, fam. So if you're listening right now and you're sitting down, you're slouched over, you're indoors with fluorescent lights, this might just be a sign. This might be the call that you needed sure. to get outside, get some water, enjoy uh -oh. the sunshine, enjoy the flowers, the bees, the plants, and whatever else presents itself. Um, Tim, I'm curious because like, I think I expressed this to you on our journey. You know, one of the things that really, uh, really caught my attention, I guess you could say, was just the way that you held space for everyone. You know, just to give everyone context, like we're all going through a plant medicine experience, in this case with ayahuasca, and like Tim's doing the journey too. Like he's doing the work too. And he's also super mindful that like he's – facilitating and largely responsible for everyone else's experience. So I'm wondering like, how were you able to kind of balance mm. those with having your own experience and being, being able to go deep in, in inward, but also like be mindful and conscious of everyone else's experience. Yeah. Um, so the word that comes up is kind of like my spirit animal, which is the owl. Think about like me as an owl, right? And I actually have it tatted on my left forearm here where, you know, and, and you know, for people who don't know, we're in, in ceremony in the evening. So it's complete darkness and, you know, owls are nocturnal animals. So I think of myself as an owl in terms of like, you know, I can close my eyes and go into my own journey. But at any moment when a, you know, 
a request is needed or my name is called, I am jumping out of my journey and going to support. And I think that takes some experience. I think that takes some, uh, uh, a couple rounds of practice as I've been able to um, experience and actually have been, you know, drinking the medicine for quite some time now. Um, but, you know, what I always remind myself is this is such a privilege. It's such an honor to witness and support and hold the hands of people literally purging out shadows and, and, and shit that they've held onto and let go of and finally transform and break through um, those self-limiting beliefs, for example. And so even though I may not be able to journey as deeply full on by myself, I am so humbled by that opportunity. And at the same time, you know, after our journey, I went to Peru uh, with a few others to go do my own solo work in the jungles. And so those were my time to go fully purge, fully drop into my experience. So um, the best word for you is that just like being super alert and at the same time, when everything is calm, be able to drop into my journey for a little bit. And I think you guys, if you remember one of the moments in our, one of our ceremonies, I had put an incense on uh, a toilet paper roll and the incense kept burning and burning. And all of a sudden, an hour later, the, the back of the room lit up on fire. And I was like, holy F. And I ran there and I put it out and it was the incense that had burned through all the toilet paper because I put it on in, in the toilet paper roll. I remember so, people talking about that, dude, but I was, I was in my own. So world. I was in my own world too. And then I saw a light on the light of my, uh, on the corner of my eye. And I looked up and I just saw fire and I didn't know what, how it happened. So I just ran there and, and did all that. But it goes to show that like, it, it just, it's, it's a skill that gets to be cultivated as we all can. And it just takes some, some practice rounds. Yeah, for sure. Is there anything that came up in your journeys in Peru that you'd like sure. to dive sure. into uh, that, that you feel comfortable sharing? Yeah. So I went into that uh, experience, by the way, it's called a, a master plan dieta where it's kind of like a, a week long experience where um, you diet with a master plant, which is non-psychoactive. Um, and each plant, I think there's 30 or 40 of them called master plants that are meant to teach you um, a certain aspect in your life that you're looking to, you know, get more clarity on. So my whole in intention going into that whole dieta um, was around transmuting and working with sexual energy. Uh, I know it's a great beautiful topic, especially for men to, to embark on and embrace. And so I drank a, I, I dieted with a master plant called Bachuha. And I wanted to work through like transmuting sexual energy. I wanted to, and, and, and one of my hypothesis was also to look into and dive into this perceived wound of abandonment as it related to previous ex relationships. So my hypothesis was that if I had some wound of abandonment from previous uh, romantic relationships, was that um, hindering uh, my, my opportunity to, to work with my sexual energy because I might have some unconscious uh, uh, pattern to you know, chase after women or this and that. So 
Um, one of my first ceremonies that uh, I, I dove deep into was literally asking to heal this wound of abandonment. And, you know, what I came out of that was right before I was purging, I heard the word essence and I purged right after. And I held on to that word and I had conversations with the medicine asking for more clarity. What do you mean by essence here? And actually one of our teachers, Marie, who we had journeyed with in our journey had talked about um, the, on one side, if you're feeling the wound of abandonment, the way to heal that is self-love. The word essence from the medicine was, was reminding me to look into my truest essence and fall in love with that so that I wouldn't ever feel abandoned. So after that, I mean, when I heard that and felt, got that connection, I was like, oh my God, this is amazing. I went back to my room uh, and started journaling. Uh, what in my most beautiful, truest, purest essence do I love about myself? And it came out with like 15 um, qualities. And so this is stripped of any title, any race, any age, any experience, like nothing of the egoic matrix labels and dive straight into even just like if, if uh, you know, you were to ask your friends, your bestest friends, what do you love about me? Like, why are we best friends? Get to that essence. And then, you know, jotting them down from your own perspective um, was immensely, immensely helpful. And so that was a huge takeaway to like be able to write down my truest essence that I love about myself. And the idea was that anytime I feel abandoned, you know, left alone or just like lonely, the point is to read through that and, you know, fall in love with myself again because of the essence that I've identified within myself. So that was one story and example of um, uh, what I took away from, from my experience there. Wow, dude, thank you for sharing that. Um, a couple follow-up questions. I'm curious to know, yeah, please. prior to going to that, prior prior to going to this, you said it's called a master plant ceremony or a- Master plant dieta. Ma- master plant dieta. So you were working with that plant each day, each day for a week? Correct. You would drink it before every meal and every meal would be completely void of any salt, pepper, like just like completely devoid of any um, uh, taste. It's the most natural taste you would have when you cook vegetables and rice, for example. Okay, got it. And did you go into that experience knowing that was the area you wanted to work on and heal? It was first around transmutation of sexual energy. And then, you know, first before moving into that, looking into, you know, wounds of past romantic relationships because I felt like there was a connection there. And I, and where this connects is that I have felt completely abandoned from previous romantic relationships where they just packed their bags and left. Right. And just like had a unfortunate challenging breakup for lack of a better word. And so I felt that there was some exploration to look into to heal that wound. Okay. And then once you get there, do they, do they kind of prescribe you which plant they feel like is yes. going to best help you with that? Correct. So you go in with asking, uh, sharing what intentions you want to work through and they look through their sort of like library of plants that they've grown themselves there and uh, translated into 
a bottle, like a two liter bottle, uh, where it's liquid and mixed with the plant. And then you would drink it every, uh, every day. Can you, can you kind of just, I mean, real briefly, we won't go too deep into this, but like, what were, what were some of the other plants that were being shared? And then, then, uh, you know, I've talked about ayahuasca a decent amount on the show. Yeah. Like, I know it's hard to kind of compare these different things, but I mean, I assume it must be a little more mild if you're doing it multiple times a day. Is that right? Sure. Sure. So I'll first answer the first question. So a couple other plants are called Bobinsana and Ahosacha, both which I've, I'm familiar with and have dieted with in the past. Um, so this was my second master plant yet. So the first one I did was with Bobinsana. Bobinsana is meant to be a very entry-level plant to diet with and is meant for more of a heart opener, um, a lot to deal with. Um, uh, why your heart is not opening up to love, why your heart is closed to, you know, relationships, et cetera, et cetera. Um, Ahosacha is more of what they call the guardian of, of these master plants. And it's typically an entry level, uh, master plant as well. And that is, I believe to work with your, um, masculine energy as well. I don't know too much of it, but that was another, what I've heard about. The difference between these master plants and even ayahuasca. So ayahuasca is what you call like an entheogen, right? Psychedelic properties, psychoactive properties. These master plants, similar to ayahuasca, are these plants teachers, but they're completely devoid of psychoactive um, uh, elements to it. And so there is no, you know, DMT in it. There's no um, uh, mescaline in it, et cetera, et cetera. Um, These master plants are... Um, think about like, you know, again, back to natural versus normal, when we didn't have um, uh, pharmacies, what would we do? We would look in our forests and look at plants and learn about these properties and then be able to make medicines out of these. It's the very same um, uh, thought process here where there's these master plants that many indigenous uh, lineage have discovered and researched into and studied and, and even, you know, worked with ayahuasca to understand its main properties and what it's mainly used for. And they pass down that knowledge years after years, generations after generations. And you can combine it with ayahuasca to further expand, you know, what it is that you're trying to, um, you know, dive into and gain clarity with. And then the ayahuasca is meant to kind of like dive into like 10 levels deeper with that master plan. So they're worked together. And, you know, some other qualities I'll just share during this dieta is that you're in complete silence. So you're honoring the noble silence all the whole week. Uh, you're living in a tambo, which is like your own little hut. Um, and uh, you're also not allowed to shower with soap or uh, shampoo. And you're not allowed to brush your teeth with toothpaste. So the whole point is to void yourself of any stimulation and it's to clean out your body completely so that you can really be in tune with this master plant and this plant medicine ayahuasca. And the last thing I'll share here is that typically shamans will go into these master plant dietas to learn their ikaros that they they share in full ceremonies. And so we went with other shamans that we actually work with and they go into these dietas to learn and listen to what these master plants are telling them. And then they get their songs, their ikaros, and then they'll share it in their ceremony circles afterward. Wow. That's really, that's really interesting. Thank you for sharing. And, and 
I'm sure those plants, even though they're, they might not be psychoactive, they, they have their own powerful properties, Correct. but I'm also, I should say not, but, but, and I'm also thinking like, if any of us just did all of the other things you mentioned for seven days, like didn't put toxic things on our body, didn't put toxic things in our body, uh, didn't uh, distract ourselves with social media and technology, like, I'm curious to know what type of effect that would have, how much of the plant is like a placebo. Um, just Yeah, just I mean, the way I'll answer that is, you know, when someone asks me what a dieta is and they've been through what well, I also have been through called a Vipassana meditation, which is like the 10-day silent retreats, it's kind of like a dieta is a Vipassana, but with medicine, like these plant medicines, right? So even if you, you know, take away the plant medicines, you go, you know, to a silent meditation retreat, you will have transformative experiences as well. So I think it's just about, you know, this toolbox of, of, of modalities that we're, uh, we have accessible for us and uh, what we feel comfortable in entering into. I love that. Um, so I've heard you also talk about kind of this identity you had with the title mm. of being a chief, uh, chief executive officer, especially at such a young age, making your mom proud and kind of like the way that that boosts your ego, right? Having that mm. title. And, and I'm curious to know, you know, I, I, I see a lot of people, uh, myself included, like attached to that identity of what mm. people recognize them for, whether that's being really good at business, being really good at sports, being really good looking, whatever that happens to be, and I'm curious to know, as you continue going through your personal work, um, are there any parts of maybe your old identity um, that that you're still holding on to? Sure. Uh, and yeah, you can take that wherever you'd like. Yeah. Uh, the first thing I'll say is that, you know, when I started learning about ego, I watched a film called The Shift by Wayne Dyer. Um, and he defines ego as edging God out. So E-G-O, edging God out. And replace God with any higher power, higher source, consciousness, whatever it is, the universe. It's edging them out, right? Saying that I'm the only one, I'm the best one, et cetera, et cetera. And so combine that with this other learning that I've had is that we're, we're spiritual beings having a human experience. And through the human experience, we have an ego. And if you dive even deeper, an ego is typically to help you survive back in the old times where, you know, you needed, you, you realize you're in danger. The ego is like, get the F out of there. It's like, all right, like get out of there. Right. Cause I don't want to be eaten alive and I, I want to have my identity. So when you combine these two thoughts of like, edging God out or edging higher power out, but knowing that the, the ego is always going to be part of our human experience, what do we do? And so what I've come to conclusion and what I've also learned is that it's not about pushing the ego away. It's about befriending the ego. And what I mean by befriending the ego is that the ego will flare up, but noticing when it flares up and then making a choice in how you want to respond when the ego flares up. So to answer your question, when so yes, there will still be times where I like, you know, pump my chest up and feel really good about certain things that I get to be, you know, a part of or, or embarking on. I'll notice the ego is flaring up. Then I make a choice. Do I want to brag about it? 
or do I want to just say, okay, that was cool. I really enjoy this feeling and I will move away from it now because I want to focus on, let's call it on the other side of ego and my perspective is uh, what I call selfless service. And this is also what I've inked on my, on my, uh, on my left hand here uh, in Sanskrit, it's called seva. And so seva is means selfless service. And what I see as the, the complete opposite side of, you know, this egoic nature. Um, and so again, the whole process is, the ego will always be there. How can we befriend it? Once we understand how to befriend it in terms of just noticing and being aware that it's there and then noticing and being aware that you can make a choice in how you respond when the ego flares up is the practice that I cultivate now. And so that can be going on social media and posting it and, and you know feeling really good about it and getting dopamine hits when we get more likes and comments. Or we can just be to ourselves and be like, that's fucking awesome, Tim. Like, I'm so proud of you for that. And it can be as simple as that. A compromise that I have right now is that, you know, sometimes the ego gets a little bit too excited and I want to share it with people. The person I share with the most is my partner, right? And when I share with my partner, I still have an outlet, but it's just very personal kind of, you know, uh, private outlet. And I get to, you know, soothe the ego, but I also don't need to go out into the world and, um, you know, mega, mega phone it out. So I think it's all ultimately in summary, befriending the ego to befriend the ego uh, is being aware that we have a choice in how we respond when the ego flares up. Mm. So basically what you're saying is, is now one of the skills you've cultivated is there's just a much shorter uh, time in, in which you notice like, okay, correct. this is this part of me popping up. That's okay. I acknowledge it. And, and I just take that experience until the next day. Um, it's something that something valuable, dude, that Austin, Austin for everyone listening was, was my elevation leader, mm. um, at one heart, which I'm pretty sure. Didn't you bring the elevation leading program to one heart? Yeah, I was able to kind of bring it up uh, from from creation. Yeah. What up, Thrive Tribe? Sorry for interrupting today's show, but I just wanted to remind you that my free microdosing course is live. And I'm so excited to put this out into the universe. I know it is going to have a profound impact. And really the intention behind it is to just provide you with more information, more knowledge, so you can decide if this is a practice that you want to incorporate into your life. Microdosing has had a very pivotal role in my growth, my expansion the last year and a half, and I've implemented it with clients and family members and had a lot of really positive results. And I want you to keep an open mind and have access to these tools. I love you so much. And check out that link in the show notes to get access to that guide. And let's get back to the show. Amazing. I'm trying to boost your ego right now to see how you respond. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm, I usually take a more backseat role in everything, but yeah, thank you. <laughs> uh, no, but, but one of the, one of the things, one of the things that he shared was because there's one exercise that Keith had us do uh, a question that he had us ask was like, what is one thing that you are committed to letting go of? And what is one thing that you want to let go of, but you're not yet ready to. Mm. 
And for one of them, I'm not sure which one I, I responded this to, but I basically said the need for external validation. Hmm. And uh, as I was working through it with my group in Austin, you know, he said like, he's like, Jeremy, I don't think you really like, like crave validation. I think you just like acknowledgement. Mm-hmm. And there's a difference between acknowledgement and validation, like feeling, mm-hmm. you know, feeling like that constant need, like from an external source, like uh-huh. that's my worthiness is dependent on you approving right. of me or, or praising me rather than just like, you know, even I think you at one point during the week, like just said, like, I'm proud of you. And I just fucking broke down, bro. Like, like my tears just come streaming down because it's something that I feel like I've neglected myself is, Mm. is acknowledging myself, you know, Mm. that was, that was a really powerful uh, area to distinguish, at least for me. So there's two responses I have here. One is that, you know, when we, when I was saying the whole ego uh, concept here, you heard me even give myself a, a pep talk, like that's fucking awesome, Tim. Great job. And on a scalable, sustainable side, the self, the, when you have the awareness that maybe you, you know, crave some sort of validation, understanding what your essence is and going back to that and being proud of that is one way, right? The second thing I wanted to share was that I love this truth that kindness is free and words are powerful. So when you combine those two, kind words are free, share that with as many people as you can Mm -hmm. so that they never have to be looking for it. Rather, you're just in such a beautiful mood and awareness that you just want to share that with others, you know? So those are the two kind of things that come back to me when you kind of share um, what you just said, that we get to support each other when, if, if, and when we, you know, trip and forget to give ourselves that self-love. Yeah. Another exercise that, that we did, I don't want to give it away for, for, cause I know a lot of people who are tuning in, you know, they're going to be interested and intrigued. And I really encourage everyone listening and watching, like if you are looking for a very transcendent experience with ayahuasca, but more importantly, like to be a part of such a special community, you know, the, the community that one heart has cultivated is so unique and so open hearted and, it's just a blessing to be a part of it, honestly. And, um, and yeah, and you're a big, you're an instrumental reason why, you know, they continue to elevate. Um, one, one of the exercises that we had to do prior to arriving, if I'm not mistaken, was writing a whole sheet, like filling up the entire piece of paper, writing down why we are proud of ourselves or reasons, things that we're proud of. And that was also, that was also something that for me personally was emotional. And I've since given that exercise to a few clients, family members. And what do you think it is, man? Like, what do you think it is that like deprives ourselves sometimes of acknowledging ourselves? And why, why are these exercises like pulling out my heartstrings? Yeah. <sighs> On a, on a surface level, the first thing that comes up that we are devoid of it is we just haven't been programmed or taught to, you know, look at ourselves, look it in the mirror and give that self-talk and shoot, man. Like I, I trip a lot at times too. And we have community, we have our partners, our parents, our loved ones to remind us that, 
that's number one. And yourself as a coach for others as well. I think that's number one. And number two, when you talk about why did it pull our heartstrings, I think of the word remembering. So if you believe that we all have the answers within ourselves, the only thing that's stopping you from accessing that is remembering. And there's a beautiful perspective in a book called Conversations with God by Neil Donald Walsh um, that talks about, it's not about necessarily trying to find your purpose more than it is about remembering your purpose. Mm -hmm. And so we are all spiritual beings having a beautiful human experience. If we are spiritual beings having a beautiful human experience, we are birthed into this world in its most pure and perfect form from God and some, or some, from, from some higher power, whatever you believe in. And along the way, we get taught and programmed and thrown things that may not be the best for us or in alignment, let's put it that way, in alignment to what our God form is. And part of that might be that we just forget um, to give ourselves that self-love and even remember our our highest, you know, higher beings, our higher, higher, our higher per people in our, who guides us. So, you know, I'm definitely touching on some. I conclude with is all the answers that we seek are within us. And these exercises, these exercises are meant to remind us or give us the opportunity to remind us of our most beautiful, perfect nature. Mm. Yeah. Well said. That makes me think of one of my spiritual teachers. Like when I did uh, San Pedro, he, he told me like the message he was telling me throughout the ceremony was like, eres la medicina. You are the medicine. You are the medicine. You are the healer. You are the, 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 the answer, right? Like anytime, you know, someone says that, you know, you need to listen to me, you need to follow my rules is, and you do that is you giving up your power because you yourself, I, myself are the healers and the medicine and the truth tellers and, you know, the, the answers that we seek. So I agree with you. And there's a lot of people obviously who are curious about these different medicines, whether it's different psychedelics, particularly ayahuasca I know has been definitely spoken about a lot in the last five to 10 years, especially in the Silicon Valley circles. So I'm curious, you know, if someone's listening right now and they're like, yo, you guys are crazy. That is just off the deep end. Or maybe they're kind of on the fence. Maybe they've thought about it, that, but they're but they're still a little. Uh, there's still some hesitation there. Like, what what would you say to someone um, without obviously like trying to convince them or push yeah, it on them? You know, what's something that you would uh, offer them? So I have one question, contemplation question for you, and one suggestion. Right, and these are always, uh, or even rather than suggestion, an invitation which gives you the power to choose if you want to accept this invitation or not. So the first contemplation question is, where is the resistance coming from? Or another way to put it is like, is there a possibility that there is something that you were taught or told many years ago, or even just a few years ago, that 
you're 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 subconsciously leveraging to to respond this way just a possibility right I'm not saying i'm right and you're wrong i'm just saying ask yourself that question and go down a rabbit hole of 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 what comes up for you second is a invitation which is if you're at all even curious the invitation is for you to literally after this podcast go to a quiet space in your home or wherever you are close your eyes take a few deep breaths and just pray to some greater power whoever you believe in i don't care to be like i want a sign if this experience is right for me right we talk a lot i mean you'll see the tony robbins of the world talk about intention setting this is an intention setting this is i want an intent out your prayer or your intention setting and go about your day and just see what happens if it was meant to be what could happen is friends will talk to you about it someone's going to give you a book about ayahuasca someone's going to call you randomly on a weekend being like oh my gosh like i just went through my first ayahuasca ceremony and i i want to talk to you about it something's going to happen if it's really meant for you at that time to go experience it and if nothing happens It doesn't mean it's not meant for you. It just means that maybe it's not the right time. And if you are still wanting more signs, then ask yourself if that in itself is a sign that you have this calling, that you have this this desire to explore into it. And from then on, I would just encourage you to study up, ask people questions, um, do your due diligence, and once you feel comfortable, um, go for it. Yeah. I love, I love the questions that you've kind of presented. I always say that your quality of life is determined by the quality of questions you ask yourself. Exactly. I know someone said that before me, but (laughs) I can't remember who it was, but, but I think that's so true, man. Like I remember when I first did the medicine in in July, 2018 in Peru, um, like most people, I think, who, who are contemplating it, who are, who are about to experience it, they contract and they feel fear. And a lot of that, again, like you said, is from these subconscious stories. And our subconscious mind is basically developed by the age of seven. And, and even this most recent time in October, I felt that coming up too, like before the first ceremony, like the fear. And understand that like operating from fear is such a low frequency mm. because everything contracts your nervous systems in fight or flight mm. and you're never going to operate from your heart mm. when you're operating from fear and mm. and that's why i think you know these medicines and we can talk about other ones as well but you know it's so powerful in the way that uh, it, it deactivates kind of the the movement in your default mode network which michael right. pollan talks a lot about and how to change your mind And when you kind of turn off this area that is responsible for all of your perceptions, narratives, and stories, so many new connections and possibilities arise. Possibilities, exactly. The word possibilities is the huge one. Possibilities is the huge one. And I'll just add. see many times now having done this for the last couple of years and 
seeing over 200 people go through this experience now, typically the fear is a, a fear of loss of control. That's what the, the main fear is, a loss of control. And just even, again, a contemplative question, like, why do you like control so much, right? I'm not saying you as Jeremy, but you as a listener. And ask yourself, why do you like control so much? Where does that desire or, or, or preference of control come from? And what if, as a possibility, you release that control? What, what if you let go of that and you surrender to the flow of life and magic that is always around us? And I say that because even in um, the surrender experiment by Michael Singer, he says that, you know, the ego loves the center of attention, but guess what? We're all going to die someday and the world and life is going to move on beyond you. And so if we understand that concept, that life moves on no matter what, even if you as the ego exist in this reality or not, then there's probably this idea or this possibility to understand that like there is magic all around us. There is life all around us progressing. And if we just release this control of how we need to spend our time or this and that, and I just look out into nature right now and just observe as an act of surrender, I think a lot of beautiful realizations, connections, and possibilities will arise. Mm. Isn't that part of one of the songs that we would, we, of the soundtrack? I release control, right? Exactly. I release control and uh, surrender uh, to the love that will heal me. Yes. Oh my gosh. Um, okay. By the way, I know it's eight twenty for you, and you still have to eat dinner. Like, how much more time do you have? Um, however much time we need. All good, brother. Awesome, man. Appreciate it. So, for those of you watching, it's it's. I'm still in daylight here in California, Tim's <laughs> in Costa Rica, so it's gotten a little dark, but we can still see your face and your jacket. Jam. Keep jamming. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, so, so I know you've spoken about this quite, quite outspokenly, quite outspokenly spoken about this. I don't think that makes sense, but uh, regardless, um, you know, now that a lot of these medicines, uh, things like MDMA, um, uh, psilocybin, um, now that these are really becoming destigmatized and that, mm is really building momentum. You know, you're seeing different places decriminalize uh, uh, psilocybin. And I know you're very cautious um, and intentional, I think would be the best word to use about where you invest uh, in this space. Because I mean, there's probably like 30, 30 publicly traded companies and <laughs> all of them diff working with different molecules and chemicals and, and, and potential medicines. Um, like, what are your thoughts about what's going on right now? Like, what are you excited about? Like what, what excites Tim the most? Yeah. And then what, what maybe scares you a little bit? Sure. So let's start off with maybe the concern. Let's call it a concern. Um, you know, the, the people who are in this space would all probably agree that this is the second resurgence of the psychedelic movement, if not the third wave, right? And the third wave is defined by the first wave being the indigenous times using um, psychoactive medicines 
And unfortunately, it's when this is what I recently learned, Spain conquered, you know, these, these, uh, especially in Peru, where a lot of these medicine activity were happening. And they, because of Christian religion, they shut it down. So that closed the first wave. Then we had the second wave in the 60s and 70s with the resurgence of LSD. And you had Timothy Leary, you had all these scientists, Albert Hoffman, come up with LSD. All this uh, research was going in. And then Nixon shut it down because there was so much of a rapid counterculture being developed with that. So now we're in the third wave, the second resurgence. And what I'm very cautious about is making mistakes where we need to have a fourth wave or the second resurgence shuts down, right? And it's about learning from two times why the psychedelic movements had to shut down and trying our best to learn everything and extract all the wisdom from that and applying it in this third wave. And this is what I and many others are defining the third wave as intentional and healing uses of these psychedelics versus a counterculture versus only religious activities, et cetera, et cetera. Right. Because if we can see it as a, as a transformational, intentional um, healing experience, who wouldn't want that? Right. Like we all want to be better people at the end of the day. We all want a better society. And these medicines are a, are a gateway and a portal and accelerated tool for that. So my concern right now is the, only, the, the biggest possible way I can see a closure of this third wave and a necessity for a fourth wave is the amount of capitalism and for-profit um, models being injected into the psychedelic movement. Mm. Right. Because we've seen just look at any big, you know, big company for profit company right now and just study or even just look at the decisions that they may make that can harm the environment, that can harm our, our, our psychology, et cetera, et cetera. We see that happening for for profit companies. And I'm saying I'm, I'm, I'm an anti-capitalism, an anti, you know, for questioning and being concerned how much capital and how much for-profit gets to be injected into the psychedelic space. And now when you're talking about the compounds and creating synthetic compounds for these psychedelic medicines, and you inject a lot of capital into it that requires a certain amount of return by a certain amount of time, or your investors get very angry and take over your company, you know, mix that with what are these psychedelic and psychoactive medicines used for, for people's healing, for people's mental health, for their psychosis, right? And you start mixing for-profit quick decisions with people's mental health. It's just a potential recipe of disaster, just a potential. I'm not saying it's going to be that, and I don't want that to happen. So that's my concern. What am I excited about? I'm super excited that when people talk about like accessibility, for people who are so trapped in their own minds, so trapped in their own depression, so trapped in PTSD, so trapped in addiction, so trapped. Just think about this feeling of being trapped and having no way out or perceived way out. These psychoactive medicines, like we talked about, turn off the default mode network and give us a whole range of possibilities. And that's why these medicines are such a powerful modality and methodology and tool to potentially treat, you know, these, these mental health disorders or chronic conditions that current therapies or current modalities just can't hit and, 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 and heal as effectively. 
that's what I'm so excited about. And so, you know, you mix that back with the concern of like, people are like, well, if you want, you know, these, these medicines to be fully accessible, then we need to inject capital to accelerate it. That's where I might differ. Do we need to accelerate this? That's the big question I have, right? If we're going to do this right, we're going to really make this powerful impact. Why are we playing a finite game of we need to have this within the next five years, right? We've had many, many years of mental health challenges. And I'm not saying that we, we disregard it. I mean, let's, let's tackle this and let's conquer this once and for all, right? And so there's another book by Simon Sinek called The Infinite Game. The Infinite Game is all about um, how can we see how we build our businesses as an infinite timeline or a many lifetime timeline versus a, I need to get X amount of return by X amount of time and play the finite game. The finite game is defined by, you know, competitors, two players in a game, like a football or basketball game. And there's an end game, there's an end timeline, and there's a winner and a loser. That I agree can be applied in certain models. I'm questioning and I'm asking this possibility, this contemplative question, can the infinite game philosophy be applied to the psychedelic companies that exist today? Why do we need a finite game integrated into psychedelic companies? Unfortunately, there's a running meme right now, and memes are always pointing at jokes, but they're truth that many psychedelic companies are just unfortunately run by financiers that want to exploit this as a next cannabis um, wave. The reason cannabis didn't do so well was because it was so positioned as recreational use. It didn't come with the healing potential that psychedelics are really pushing out right now with, right? And, and, and it's so much recreational use versus psychedelics could be used as recreational, but there's so much messaging and so much you know, uh, proponent of using this as healing and transformational breakthroughs. And so the call out, the invitation for these financiers who are running these big psychedelic companies is as, and I interviewed Dr. Bronner, David Bronner, sorry, not Dr. Bronner, David Bronner, the CEO of Dr. Bronner's. I said, how would you, what would you tell them? Which I hilariously laughed and agree with. He's like, these financiers who are running psychedelic, big psychedelic companies, go sit with the medicine more, like go commune with them more. Not me, not other human beings who have the egoic mind to, you know, mix and match all this, uh, uh, you know, uh, advice that may be tainted. I'm not saying listen to me. The advice is go sit with the medicine. Like I can't actually support a company and especially in the psychedelic space whose founders are run by, uh, who are run by founders that have never sat with the medicine. It just yeah. doesn't make sense. It's like you wouldn't go to a yoga class from uh, with a yoga teacher that never had, who never took yoga. Right. It just, it doesn't make sense. So right. the whole idea is not about like, Oh no, we're getting, we're going to get fucked up with too much capital. It's not about that. It's about prioritizing the mental health and the, and the healing potential of these medicines. And the only way to really do that is having gone experience that yourself. Right. So any company that I invest in, I told you, Jeremy yourself, it's I, I always ask the number one question is, how, what is your experience with the medicine and how has that experience led you to starting this psychedelic company or, you know, going after this mission that you're on? That's the question I always ask. And if I get a wishy-washy answer or I get an answer that's never, you know, I've never really tried this or that, I'm just like, I question, I question the motive. 
Yeah. Well, and you referenced Simon Sinek and it goes back to like, start with why, right? Exactly. It's like, what, why, why is this so important to you? Is it just to capitalize off this moment in time or is it to actually transcend mental health? In, create a legacy, you know, there's yeah. a legacy of a timeline and in history. And, and, you know, as we kind of close off here, like, where do you see, where do you see yourself and one heart fitting into this picture? And, 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 you know, moving forward, I, I know there's been talk about uh, you guys kind of getting your own space in Costa mm-hmm. Rica, but I'm curious to know, like, have you guys talked about your 10 year vision and, mm. and stuff like that? Um, I'm, I'm dying to know that. Um, sure. Yeah. So I'll respond in a couple ways. Number one is within one heart, you know, our mission statement states that our mission is to help elevate the heart of leaders of our world, both from their personal life, work life, um, so that they can come together to solve planetary problems. Like at the end of the day, it's all about something greater than ourselves. And so the 10 year vision, at least from my perspective, is creating a home, like a center, a space, a community space, where we have these retreats that we can go to that isn't just about running retreats. It's about creating the most safe, elegant container that these leaders of the world, and I, we start, and my personal perspective is we start out with business leaders, get the reputation in terms of you know, legitimacy and, and effectiveness to then finally get to the politicians of the world. Like my personal mission is to invite the politicians into a beautiful, elegant, safe container to experience these medicines. And I'm not here to, to, to say that you have to do it this way, that you have to adopt my philosophy. I'm not. I'm saying I'm going to create the most safe, elegant container for you to experience this so that nature can don you the wisdom that I've been able to receive. And I'm not here to say my wisdom that I receive from the wisdom is end all be all. It's that I want you to have the most safe, intimate experience so that you can listen to nature and make the best decisions from nature's wisdom that has existed for millennia, right? Mm -hmm. Versus our own primitive minds that might say, and egoic minds that might say, I want it this way, so I'm gonna make decisions that way. That's my 10-year vision for that, uh, for especially with One Heart. And I'll, I'll end with this, that you know I'm getting involved beyond One Heart, where I'm getting involved with Third Wave, I'm getting involved with um, a coaching uh, company that is meant to help coach the psychedelic uh, company CEOs as well. The whole point of my involvement with these three organizations is this. The first step is, is there a new operating system that we can apply in how we approach our businesses, um, especially coming from nature's wisdom, integrated into our own egoic minds if, if, if we get to do that? Level deeper beyond that, the bigger vision is when we understand this new operating system of how we can integrate into our businesses and these leaders are doing that. And it's not from my philosophy, it's I set the container and let nature, these plant medicines, teach you what all of us have probably all learned, that we can reach to even greater, more influential leaders of our times, which includes the politicians of the world, and let them be able to 
understand nature's wisdom and make decisions, make policy, listen to, listen to their constituents from a place of compassion and love. I didn't say this before, but my, my, and when I was five years old, my mom asked me what I wanted to do when I grew up. And I, and I immediately said, I want to be the first Asian American president of the United States. I left the whole political route because I found it too inefficient. And it's just been so beautiful to see how life has unraveled for me to have started my own business, to be able to speak the, the terms and empathize with these business leaders, to bring them into a container where they can accelerate these powerful wisdoms from nature, build a reputation, let them really understand this, understand how they can apply this new operating system into their businesses, and then hopefully one day reach the politicians of our world. And by no means is this a infiltration to get into the politicians and, you know, incept, you know, these philosophies, anything like that. I'm not about that. I'm all about free choice. I'm all about free will. And I'm all about you making your choice and free will. And I'm all about you making your choice and decisions based on what you receive. I'm saying, let me show you what nature has to say, not human minds, not egoic minds, what nature has to say, something completely free of ego. Mm. I love how it's all coming full circle with you. The five-year-old <laughs> Tim, the 30-year-old Tim, it's like... And then nature versus normal, right? Natural versus normal. Let nature show you the most beautiful answers that, um, that it can. Yeah. And I love that. And, and one of the big things you talk about with nature too, is like this co-creation. And that's really what this community is all about is like, Hey, you're really good at this. Hey, I'm really good at that. Like, let's see how we can join forces and co-elevate and support each other. This goes to my point, like competition is an illusion. And that's part of this new operating system. I'm trying to just share competition is an illusion, right? There's terminology called co-opetition. So like essentially cooperation, but together, even though there might be perceived competition, right? And so it's asking the question, like, how can we work together versus how can I beat you? Mm, yeah. And okay. So this is the Thrive University podcast in case, in case you forgot, Tim. So, you know, our mission is to really inspire, inspire and empower our community with the tools they never received in school. Mm. And, and I know not many people are teaching the things that we spoke about today. Mm. I'm curious to know what is one thing that you wish you were taught in school or that you hope that you're future child is taught in school? Yeah, it's super simple because I ask myself that question a lot. If once I have children and I want to birth the next generation, what's the number one thing I want to, you know, teach them and, 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 and really support them and guide them on. And it's like this idea of tapping into your own intuition, which means tapping into the alignment again. So how is that practical in the practical steps? Like, when my kid asks me, can I eat this? What I want to ask them is, well, why do you want to eat this? Do you believe this will be good for your body? And, and just ask them these questions that their brain might not be aware of asking themselves with and let them make the choice that is in full alignment. And sometimes they might just want to be like, I want to eat this and I just want to tend to my cravings. Beautiful, right? Amazing. And sometimes they'll be like, oh, wow, I'm actually tending too much on that side. And I should be listening to what my intuition is saying, which is not healthy, it's not natural. And I should be making this other choice. And it's all about just empowering 
that listening to that intuition, to that heart, to the body, whatever is outside of the mind and empowering them to make that choice. Because I believe that is such a powerful skill to cultivate in all the decisions we will have later on in life versus falling into the trap of running on subconscious programming. That's all it is. How can we avoid running on subconscious programming? I think it's about empowering intuition, empowering choice by listening to something greater than our minds. And once we can do that, I think we'll live a very thriving life. Hey, I love it. Thriving. That's what I'm talking about. Um, okay. So, so I want you to imagine, all right, it's your last supper and all of the things, all of your intentions you set out to accomplish, set out to impact in the world came true. Uh, you hosted the biggest world leaders at this retreat and you were a huge instrumental role in this third wave that we are currently in right now. And you get to choose three people to join you for this last supper. They can't be your friends. It can't be D. It can't be, uh, it can't be any family. Um, it can be dead or alive though. I'll let you choose people who, oh. who are living a, a different life right now. Um, so three people you get to sit down with, um, and then also, what are you having for that last meal? I'm, I'm pretty curious about that as well. So while I'm still determining which three people, the meal would be a home-cooked meal that I would make all plant-based. And it would be a meal that is, regardless of what the actual recipe or ingredients are, the point is, to show a possibility of how amazing plant-based meals can be. That's the meal. We'll leave it at that. Look, I, I, <laughs> the first person I think about, because I love this, I love the, 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 the irony of it, is probably Donald Trump. Hey. I, really want, I really want to, like, I, you know, some people in the, in, the, in, the, in the conscious community and the spiritual world, uh, might be triggered by him, but others are saying he's the enlightened one. And I don't think that's a wrong statement because if anything, he's triggering the hell out of a lot of us. Right? Like the bitter medicine that he's, he's giving us is I think amazing. So I think <laughs> that's number one, Donald Trump. I'll, I'll put that in there just because I've been triggered by him and I want to I want to be triggered because I think triggering is a great way to elevate ourselves to anytime we find we are triggered, come back to a place of centeredness, coming back to a place of peace, coming back to a place of oneness. I, I think that's the work in our life. I really think that is. So I want to bring people who are going to trigger me. So that's number one. Number two, the second one is, I guess, you know, the boy Elon. He's just, you know, the modern day Iron Man, the modern day uh, person who just pushes us out of the, the 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 normal thinking, and I love that. And I think I think about people who embody that, and it just happens to be, you know, Elon, where he questions everything, he questions the possibilities, he expands the possibilities, and then the third one is a meditation teacher I've been following a lot. His name is Thich Nhat Hanh. 
where he's just someone who embodies peace. He embodies compassion. He embodies unconditional love. And I would love to fuse that kind of philosophy into someone like Elon, who's all about pushing humanity to its next level. And to someone like, you know, Mr. Trump, who triggers the hell out of everybody. Like, how can we fuse unconditional love in everything we do? Because at the end of the day, like you and I have been taught, we're either operating in love or fear. And we know that fear isn't the answer. So what about love? And so I think about someone who triggers me. I think about someone who pushes humanity to its next level. But I still think of someone who's super grounded in teaching the embodiment of unconditional love. Mm, that was such a thoughtful three. Is, is that last guy you mentioned, Tim, the guy who, who writes a lot of these like smaller books? Correct. Like, okay, got it. Yeah. That guy. Nahan. I didn't know how to pronounce his name. Um, super dude. So, so as we wrap up here, um, number one, I just want to acknowledge you for showing up the way you do, man. I mean, it's been, it's been beautiful just in the short time I've known you in the, in the limited amount of interactions, just to see the way that you provide that safety and protection and also you're just so reliable. Like when you're around, whenever you were around, I knew like everything was taken care of and that I didn't have to worry about anything. And I feel like, especially in that type of vulnerable space, it's so important to be able to let your guard down, let go of control, which as we talked about earlier can be so challenging. And, um, you know, I don't think it's a coincidence that you keep attracting all of these amazing people and opportunities into your life, brother. So thank you so thank much. You so much. Thank you so much for those kind, beautiful words. You're welcome, brother. And um, I just want to give you the opportunity to kind of share where people can learn more about One Heart, and we'll make sure to link everything in the show notes too. Yeah. So the URL is uh, the number one, and then H E A R T. So OneHeart.com, and we actually have a resource for everybody if you feel called to dive into this idea of um, a new operating system for business leaders that we've been able to witness, um, start to adopt in how they integrate into their businesses. Uh, it's a white paper uh, that we wrote last year called The Altered State of Business, uh, how psychedelics and uh, sacred plant medicines can elevate our uh, leaders and institutions. And so it's 33 pages filled with beautiful visuals, filled, filled with beautiful stories, um, and also filled with five new paradigms of how we can approach our business. One of them, which I mentioned, is competition being an illusion. And so I invite you all, whoever's listening, to take a read at that. It's on our website. You can download it for free. And let me know your thoughts. You know, reach out to me. My email is tim, T-I-M, at oneheart.com. And let's have a conversation. Amazing brother. Yeah. We'll make sure to link all of that. And you know, I've spoken about the experience I had with one heart before, but guys, if, if, if there's any, if there's any place that, um, that it, it, first of all, if this is something you're feeling called to, it's so important that like Tim alluded to, you really do your homework and find a space that you feel safe. And that was the biggest difference. Like I had a great experience in Peru in 2018, but mm. you know, 2020 was the October was such a unique experience because the people 
you know, the, the community, community that we had cultivated was so powerful. And then the intention was so elevated. Like I had such clarity on why I was there and the integration after, I mean, we didn't even talk about the importance of integration in today's conversation, but I mean, that was an absolute game changer. And, and, you know, the, the program and the protocol for four weeks and constantly connecting with our team was just invaluable. Um, so yeah, brother, um, appreciate you and enjoy your dinner. Don't get bit up out there. Thank you so much. And I just want to say, Jeremy, thank you for doing what you're doing for the community that you have cultivated and the message you continually share. And most importantly, which I can't figure out how you do because it's a superpower of yours, but it's your energy. The energy that turns into the words that you use and the energy that turns into will inspire many. So thank you for what you do and allowing me for sharing. So thank you for what you do and allowing me for sharing uh, everything that we talked about today. Appreciate you, brother. Enjoy dinner. We'll talk soon. And hopefully I get to give you a big sweaty hug soon. All right. Oh my goodness. Thrive Tribe. I don't know about you, but I absolutely had my mind blown during that conversation with Tim. And as I mentioned from the onset, he is such a powerful, inspirational leader. And I think we can all learn so much from his story. You know, so many of us grow up in a narrative, in a paradigm, thinking that success looks a certain way. And this is common from our parents, from society, from school. And it's so beautiful to watch somebody like Tim have a lot of success early on in his 20s and then come to the realization that there's something bigger. There's something more meaningful waiting for him. And I just invite you to ask yourself, what is calling you? What is something that maybe you've been wanting to lean into, but there's been hesitation, there's been resistance. This is your sign, this is your calling, this is your signal to go for it. Take some sort of action forward towards that thing that's calling your name. You know what I'm talking about. And I'm here every step of the way. I want you to let me know, tag me on Instagram at Coach Jeremy and let me know what was the biggest takeaway for you in this conversation? What are you going to implement into your life? What are you curious about that you're going to educate yourself on more? Let's keep the conversation going, fam. That's what this community's all about. Again, as always, You know, if this show inspired you, share it with a friend, make sure to subscribe, and it means the world if you can leave a review. It allows us to reach more people, impact more lives. So thank you in advance for taking the time to do that. And again, check the link in the show notes for all of that stuff that Tim mentioned. If you want to connect with him, if you want to access my free microdosing course, I really encourage you hit that link in the show notes and... I love you. Thank you for your support, for your energy. Genuinely means the world. Now, you already know what time it is. It's time to pursue your passions and thrive.